Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What is the spinal cord? Let's just start at the top. Is it the, just the, the series of bones that runs down your back, right? Well, that's the spinal column. So the, right. the spinal cord itself is like a bundle of nerves. So yep. it's a continuation of the brain. So mm-hmm. it's about 50 centimetres long and it runs from the base of your brain and all the way down to about your waist level. Yeah, right. And so it's got a, a probably approximately 100 million neurons in it mm-hmm. and it's kind of like an elevator. So it takes signals from the brain, which is kind of like a penthouse, all the way down to the basement, but it can drop things off on the way down. So it has levels all the way down. So we have uh, a level called the cervical region and there's kind of seven floors to that. And then we have a thoracic, which is your mid-back, and there's about 12, there's 12 levels for that. And then we go into a lumbar level, and there's five levels for that. And this is all sort of building through part of our central nervous system, right? That's right. And so you've got sense sensations coming out from the outside body, like um, touch, pain, temperature, that goes into the cord and up to the brain. And then you have signals from your brain down to your body to move your body. Right. Do yeah. you have favorite organs or most like a a ranking of the most important parts of the human body and if you do where does this sit oh that's a good question i mean if you look at so you look at all the different there's around about 12 or so organ systems of the body Mm -hmm. the nervous system is included there Mm -hmm. and we often recognize the nervous system as the master regulator of the whole body so it's in control it's the major communication network so i mean if we were to rank and I'm impartial. I love all the organ systems. Yeah. I would. You don't want to get any offside. <laughs> oh, that's true. But we are both neuroscientists, so we probably would put the nervous system up top. Right. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And why do we have one? Is it just simply that messaging pathway? Yeah. So it's just the because your brain is the control centre of your body. Really, it just needs that conduit between your body and your brain. So it's that connector that does the connection between. Yeah. Right. Mm. So yeah. Obviously, people will have one of these. Um, is it is it something that every creature has, every animal has, every insect has? How does it kind of roll through? Vertebrates. Yes. Yep. And that's sort of the. I guess that's probably where it comes from. The vertebrae. That's so, right. Yeah. And so, what Matt um, hadn't said yet is that the spinal cord itself is surrounded by the bones, the vertebrae, mm-hmm. and so this vertebral column. 
basically is there to withstand compressive forces. So it holds the weight of our body. But these bones have a little hole in it, and that's where the spinal column, spinal cord, I should say, moves through, which yep. means that when it comes to damage to the spinal uh, vertebrae, the shifting of the spinal vertebrae can actually compress or even dislocate or even transect the spinal cord and result in spinal cord injury. Right. And, you know, when, when I think of spinal cord injuries, I think of usually quite serious injuries. So you're looking at people who've had serious accidents and have, and have severed that cord or, or severely damaged it. Mm. Is that, is that the, the all, or, all or nothing of spinal cord injuries? Or can you actually end up with a spinal cord injury just from simply, you know, sitting poorly or poor posture or lifting things that are too heavy for you? So there's, there's different types. I mean, you can have traumatic spinal cord injuries, which is probably what we'd focus on tonight. But you can have spinal cord injuries due to degenerative diseases. So diseases over time, uh, people can have osteoporosis and the fracturing of those bones can result in spinal cord injury. There's other disorders of the actual spinal cord itself and the nervous system. But You'd, if you looked at traumatic spinal cord injury, which probably is the majority, mm. you'd find that that's caused through a number of different mechanisms. So the different types of injury that can happen include impacts, and these impacts can result in continual compressive forces on the spinal cord. Mm. So if you have a car accident and you break your back, for example, and the vertebrae fractures, some of that bone can continually compress on the, on the spinal cord, and that's probably one of the most common types of traumatic uh, injuries, mm. or you can have a compressive force which is transient, so it hits the spinal column, spinal cord, and then bounces away. Or you can have stretching and shearing, which may happen due to you know twisting or extensions or flexions. Uh, or you can have lacerations and transections, which, for example, could be due to a stab wound. Yeah. So these types of things can injure the spinal cord to varying degrees. So it can injure it completely, so all the way through, or it could partially, which is called a incomplete. Right. And is it always a, is it something that people can recover from, essentially, is the next question. So if you've got that complete severing, I imagine that's probably quite hard to come back from. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, the, the nervous system or the central nervous system is a bit different to the the nerves, the peripheral nerves, which are outside the, the nervous system. So the nerves itself, that's kind of my area of research. So mm -hmm. That's what I did my PhD. And so they do regenerate. And so I'll give you an example. So actually both of my grandmothers, uh, they both lost their pinkies in accidents. Right. So one of my grandmothers, she had hers cut off with a bandsaw mm -hmm. and the other one um, was jamming. Now that's, jamming? That's not like in a rock band. Right, was yeah. Like making, I was making sharp, jam. <laughs> sharp guitar things, things for a second and wasn't aware that was a risk. <laughs> what, what was your first name bandsawing? Uh, you know, the bandsaw, like cutting wood. Yeah, but what was she doing? Helping her husband. Oh, not fair not right. very well. Yeah. Um, so I grew up thinking that all grandmothers didn't have pinkies. Right. But, but anyway, um, so <laughs> if you had your pinky cut off, mm -hmm. um, if the surgeon was able to put it back together quick enough, so the, basically the nerve that goes down into your pinky would be at, uh, about the size of a, a toothpick. Right. And that would give stimulus to move your pinky, but mm -hmm. also to feel at the pinky level. Right. Now, if you can get those two ends of the toothpick or the nerve mm -hmm. back together well enough, yep. in theory, the, the end of the nerve closest to the hand should re-sprout and then go back down that tube right. and then re-innovate the pinky. Right, okay. Now, a big part of that is a special cell that they call a swan cell mm. that kind of helps re-wrap it up mm -hmm. and reconnect it. Now, in the spinal cord, for some reason, if the same thing kind of happens, like Michael just said, like a, a serious trauma, um, the, the cell in amongst the neurons 
doesn't do that as well. So the swan cell's not in the spinal cord. We call it uh, oligodendrocytes, a type of, a type of glial cell. Yep. And that kind of stops the process and kind of blocks the process. And so it doesn't regenerate as well as nerves do. Right. But there are, there's hope in that space mm. because we can potentially manipulate those cells, yep. either bring them in from other areas or maybe change their genetic makeup to actually help that that process to be better. Yeah, great. And, and when we're looking at, you know, when I think about traumatic uh, spinal injuries, you know, the, the the way I can usually you know, often tell if there's someone who's been through something like that is they'll either be in a wheelchair mm-hmm. um, and have limited movement of the body. So some people um, won't be able to walk but have really good movement of the upper body and, and their hands and then some people, you know, might only be able to move their head and talk and that sort of stuff. So you've got yeah, paraplegics and quadriplegics in that. Yeah. What What's the marker for that? How does, how does someone end up, how does the scale work essentially? It's all about the the level in which the injury occurs. So if it happens at around about C7, cervical level 7, then somebody's going to become a quadriplegic. Probably C5, maybe tucked higher. Yeah, yeah, a little bit higher than 7, quadriplegic, lower than 7, often paraplegic. Um, So this basically is severing that communication pathway between everything below that spinal cord level and then up to the brain. And so if it's below seven, then anything that's innervating, which means the nerves that are coming out of the spine, go into the legs, for example, and other areas below, there's not going to have any sensory signals coming up to the brain because it's stopped or any motor signals coming back down from the brain because it's stopped. Um, You can have, if it happens even higher, C2, C3, C4, or even C5, it could block some very important nerves that tell the diaphragm to contract, and this is the muscle that allows us to breathe. Mm. And so that means some people may be on respirators, for example. Yeah, and I did a I did a story a couple of years ago looking at a guy who um, actually broke his neck playing football. Um, was playing down in Geelong in in Victoria, mm. um, just in a local league down there. Went in for a tackle, and someone just came down on the back of him mm. essentially and just compressed his neck. Mm. Um, and so he ended up, you know in hospital for a period of time, but was able, you know, while he initially couldn't walk, was able to kind of relearn some of that, actually get a lot of that movement back. Yeah. Um, is that common or is that is that quite hard to achieve? So it all depends. So each individual is different. Each individual injury is different because the severity, the level of injury, and whether it's complete or incomplete, for example. So if you've got a complete injury, what that's indicating is that there is a, f- a full transection or severing of the nerves above and below that level. And usually that means that there's no communication at all. Mm. But if it's an incomplete injury, then there's some connections that are still available, which means that if you do start to go through the rehabilitation process and activity-based therapies, then that will promote the remaining neural networks. And it can actually not just promote them to reinforce that movement, but it can even rewire them and a term that a lot of people have heard, which is neuroplasticity, can actually occur. And neuroplasticity doesn't just happen at the brain, it also happens at the level of the spinal cord. So you can reinforce neural pathways at the level of the spinal cord. Right, and how much of that is based on that repetitive movement, that that rehabilitation? Because when I was doing this story, I remember talking to this guy, and he got to the hospital and had that terrifying moment where he couldn't move his feet, couldn't move his toes, um, but then through going through that process, was able to get it back. So do you really need to push through that? You know, I'm thinking, I'm imagining, you know, the the scenes of people with the the sort of the bars by their side mm. and slowly trying to sort of remember how to walk. Mm. Is mm. that that that's an effective treatment that can get people back? Repetitive, task-specific activities. Yes. So the central dogma was always um, after about a year, 
um, what you've got back is essentially what you'll live with. Mm. And so the thought was when you have your injury, there's a whole lot of swelling that goes around the spinal cord and then they can give steroids and use certain medications to take that swelling down. But really after a year, if you've not got anything, certain things back, that's going to be it for life. But the theory now is by doing all these repetitive activities, then actually through this um, plasticity that we can actually push the neurons a bit harder than we would have normally, mm. and that can allow that regeneration to, to occur, yeah. Yeah, and neuroplasticity is, is amazing. Uh, let me just provide one example as yeah. to how great neuroplasticity can be. Um, so some people who have had limb amputations, for example, that means that the sensory nerves that are in their arm is, are no longer available. However, the pathway that goes to the brain is still there, and the part of the brain that is mapped to that hand, for example, is still there. It's just not receiving any sensory signals. And what happens is the brain gets very hungry for input. So the part of the brain that's mapped to the hand is no longer receiving input, and so it gets very hungry and goes, "What? I need some sort of stimulation. Other parts of the brain that are very close, so adjacent to the part of the brain mapped to the hand, can start to move around and have conversations with that area. And so, for example, if you look at the part of the brain that's right next to the part that's mapped to the hand, it's the part that's mapped to the face. And so the neurons that are there for picking up touch for the face start to move over to those of the hand and in some individuals you can rub down the side of their face and ask them what they're feeling and they say yeah I feel you rubbing my face but I also feel you rubbing my pinky finger my ring finger my index finger all due to this reorganization of the nervous system and so this type of reorganization can happen at every level of the nervous system and it's the brain just sounds absolutely incredible that it's able to to kind of manage that that sort of thing and we were talking yeah we were talking about the sort of the rehab-based treatment. I mean, what are the are there other treatments for spinal cord injuries uh, as well around that, just, or is it just the rehab and that repetitive stuff? Well, another big area. I, I guess we can talk in our research, which is, which is stem cell. Mm. But another big area is uh, electrical stimulation. And yep. so, if you think about the spinal cord again, like uh, a freeway, like my, Mike said, you might have a partial severing, which would be like half of the lanes are cut, but you can still get cars that go around it opposed to a full closure, which then nothing can get past. But technically, everything kind of below the lesion is still intact. They're just not being stimulated. Mm. So if there's some way you can actually put electrodes into the brain, like the area that would stimulate, say, your leg, and then that can get past that kind of lesion, then in theory, you should be able to activate those nerves to go and move the leg. And so there's a lot of research currently looking at say, very fine needles that can go down into the um, brain or into the neurons. Because the problem is if you put big arrays into the brain, the, the brain doesn't like to have things stuck in it, mm. which is understandable. Yeah, totally and it will, um, <laughs> it will start to scar up and, and not work. Mm. And so if they can get you know, carbon fibre, really small things, and they can get it down, then in theory you should be able to stimulate the nerves to get, tell the part of the body to move. Now, at the moment, I guess the limitation is just get enough stimulus to move enough. So some scientists have found that you could m- stimulate enough neurons to maybe get you to uh, move your fingers to maybe move a mouse, but you can't go back to do all the amazing things our, our hand can do. Mm. But that's the the current 
limitation with technology but there's motor movement is extremely complex i mean there's a it's constant feedback so we always think oh if i want my hand to move i'll send a signal from my brain to my hand tell it to close but in actual fact when you walk or when you move you're getting constant feedback from that muscle Mm. and that feedback again is going to every level it's going back to the spinal cord and then back to the hand and then going back to the cerebellum and then back to the hand and then back to the actual cortex of the brain and then back to the hand and then so this is all this constant feedback and with the pathway shut down you're not getting that feedback so while this electrical stimulation is going to be beneficial absolutely because it'll be able to tell the muscle to contract the feedback won't necessarily be there and so when it comes to other types of therapeutic approaches we could talk about the stuff that we're doing at the moment so Mm. we're part of a research team at Griffith University called the Spinal Injury Project, yep. which is led by uh, Professor James St. John. Uh, and our work is built upon some of the work that the 2017 Australian of the Year, Alan Mackay Sim, mm-hmm. was doing, uh, in which basically we take cells from the nose called olfactory and sheathing cells, and we transplant these cells into the injured spinal cord. Now, the reason why we take nose cells and put them into the spinal cord is because your nose is probably the closest pathway to the brain. You've actually got neurons, which are right at the top of your nose. If you get your finger and put it as far up into your nose as possible... Don't do this at home. Don't do it at home. <laughs> You're not going to get there. You're not quite going to get there. But right at the top, there's this bony plate with little holes in it. And through these holes are neurons that are connected to the brain. And they're there so that we have a sense of smell. But every day we smell a whole bunch of pollutants and particles and toxicants that can damage these neurons and kill them off. Yet the next day we still have a sense of smell. And that's because these OECs, these olfactory and sheathing cells, they help the regenerative processes of these neurons. So the thought is if these OECs can promote neuron regeneration in the nose, maybe they could promote neuron regeneration in the injured spinal cord. And that's what we're doing at the moment. And that's what Alan Mackay did. Yeah. And those those cells are almost the same as the ones that I spoke about with the pinky. Yeah. So they come from the same lineage. Interesting. And, I mean, how quickly is the technology moving in this space? I mean, you know, growing up, which, you know, wasn't that long ago, but, you know, still a decent amount of time, it was just a given that... You know, if you you had a spinal injury, you 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 weren't going to walk again. Mm. Um, you know, is is that starting to change that thought? Yeah, there's amazing technological advances, yeah. like Matt was saying, when it comes to the electrical stimulation, exoskeletons as well. So there are uh, mechanical approaches to this, and they are supportive of activity-based therapies. Uh, a change in the mindset of the activity-based therapies, because like Matt was saying, the thought was after 12 months, that's basically it. And there's a, a number of rehabilitation processes which seem to just focus on compensation as opposed to recovery. Mm. And so that compensation is looking at, well, how can you work around your injury? What other methods can you use to be able to still perform these tasks? Mm. As opposed to now, the thinking's really starting to move through as to, know we need these repetitive activity-based movements to promote the neural pathways that are remaining and to actually increase muscle growth, increase blood flow. All these things are beneficial. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, you know, I know the the sort of the sporting, like essentially like the robot legs that I've yeah. seen before. So you've got these sort of, you know, metal legs that you strap to the outside of yours and, and they walk around. And I guess I'd imagine them in a sense of this compensation. So you could help someone who wasn't able to walk, mm. walk. But is the value in them actually being able to help people with recent spinal injuries do that rehab and start regenerating those pathways down the spine? 
Yeah, I think so. And um, we we do some research down in um, down towards Coolangatta with Making Strides. So that's an organisation that does all that kind of thing. And they have all sorts of elaborate setups where they have people supported on treadmills so they hold their weight while they, they get them to walk. And that puts their nerves and their body and their muscles through a whole lot of exercise, which they would normally have done. But now these neurons that maybe, you know, 10 years a century ago would have just been um, told not never to use again and now feeling sensations of touch and um, movement but also telling the muscles to move is only going to be beneficial. And just finally, how far are we before we can, you know, help repair spinal cords and, and get people who've, who've totally severed them to, to walk again? It's a difficult question. We're definitely making advances. Uh, there was a man in Poland called Derek who was a firefighter who had a spinal cord injury from a stab wound. And he received a transplantation therapy as well, cell transplantation therapy, of a group of cells such as the OECs in the nose. And he tended to regain movement in his legs, was able to ride a bike again, for example. There's been a number of animal models that have demonstrated efficacy with these cellular transplantation therapies. So, And we've got our clinical trial coming probably 2020. Yeah, wow. So yes. we're going to be the transplanting the OECs into the spinal cord and then hopefully doing our exercise, sustained exercise regime as well. Yeah, so we're yes. also working with Making Strides, the Perry Cross Foundation. And uh, Perry, Perry Cross also had a, a level to C2 level in a, a football accident as well, so similar yeah, right. to your friend. Yep. Yep. He went through the same thing, so he's been a wonderful ambassador for the whole... Yeah, the Perry Cross Foundation is a spectacular charity organisation that raises funds, helps bring these funds into research to try and cure spinal cord injury, such as what we're trying to do. So different types of approaches, cellular therapies, molecular-based approaches, drug discovery approaches, exoskeletons, activity-based therapies. There's a whole bunch of things coming together with the hope of hopefully very soon being <laughs> able to create a cure for spinal cord injury. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming in and spending some time with us to talk to you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.